0: Attention, Kingdom Hospital medical staff. Attention. We are experiencing high census this week with more incoming patients expected. With that in mind, we will be temporarily doubling up in all rooms. (sighs) Even I will have to start sharing this office with stupid Kevin from medical records.
1: Hey, can I make an announcement?
0: No, get your own microphone. Stupid Kevin. This concludes your announcements. Stay tuned for the sound of Kevin popping his gum and humming CCR songs loudly to himself. This is Dairy Public Radio.
1: Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And I, once again, normally I would say Benjamin Graham, but Ben isn't here today.
0: Is it, is it his teeth?
1: Uh, No, today it's actually his wife's teeth
0: Ah, okay
1: Yeah, so we have another special guest joining us Uh, For those of you who are subscribers to our Patreon And have listened to our episodes of The Club Where we play kids on bikes Please welcome Nick Hofer
2: Hello everybody
1: And today we are covering episode 7 of Kingdom Hospital, Black Noise, and we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away.
0: Thanks, Josh. Before we get into it, our usual disclaimer, we are recording remotely, so our sound quality is sort of only okay. So in addition to hearing our friend Nick Hofer on our Patreon-exclusive podcast, The Club, playing Jake, I also talked about him in our very first episode because We share, uh, I think, almost equal passion for Stephen King. And he is the one who, fortunately or unfortunately, got me into buying very expensive, collectible books. So I gave him the gift of the Dark Tower series. I introduced him to it. And he gave me the gift of an empty wallet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You have far surpassed me in that area as far as the books go. I know. Uh, I I gave up trying.
0: I I don't usually have an addictive personality but this i just took off with it's it's a nightmare it's,
2: it's a rabbit hole for sure
0: <laughs> what was your first stephen king experience
2: the first one that i vividly remember was uh, my 6th grade english class we had like silent reading time like half the class sometimes i was reading the tommy Knockers, and the teacher came up to me and said I have some serious misgivings about you reading this in class.
1: <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> so, I I totally understood what she meant by that, but she let it go. So, I thanked her for that, but a 6th grade kid probably shouldn't be bringing that to school and reading it cuz it's not necessarily appropriate.
1: I just I love the idea of 6th grade hof. Going off on the class about the irresponsible uses of nuclear energy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. What is your favorite Stephen King moment?
2: My favorite moment as far as um, a moment in a book that always resonated with me because it grossed me out was in Pet Sematary when he digs up his kid and has him rolled up and putting him in the car. And he thinks... Do I have him in there right? Like his knees are bending backwards oh. in his mind and he's got to take him out and check him over, make sure he's okay. I think about that all the time.
0: All the time? Oh, God. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> what circumstances in your life cause you to think about that all the I, like. I get it standing out to you and maybe reminiscing on it occasionally, but what's happening every <laughs> day, Hov?
2: Hey, things things just stick. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it because it doesn't make any sense.
1: Anytime he has a passenger, he has to look at are their knees the right way. All right. Is
0: my wife okay?
2: (laughs) Every time my wife's getting in the car, I'm like, hold on, I got to make sure you're getting in the right way. (laughs) It's a whole process. We can't get in the car and just go anywhere. We got to make a whole thing of it.
0: Okay. Last episode, a seismologist falls off the wagon. Elmer loses his head. Stegman almost loses his nose. And Draper and Hook lose their inhibitions. And in this episode, we open up in a courtroom. And no, Elmer is not being brought up on sexual charges. Though we do still kind of get some of that in this scene.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little bit.
0: A jury member makes a pretty serious accusation against the defense lawyer.
1: Man, okay, so this scene starts off, I love the first that it starts off that they're calling for Jonathan be Good, that he's supposed to be there and he didn't show up for jury selection, and that cracked me up. And then they go through the two people on the jury that they're going to dismiss because they have a prior relationship with this lawyer. The first one, the lady's like, oh yeah, I play cards with him and his wife and we're good friends and he's a great guy. And then the other lady says, he got my 18-year-old daughter knocked up and fired after making her get an abortion. This guy sucks. And it gives the lawyer a heart attack.
0: Okay, this... I had to suspend my disbelief here because no 18-year-old would fuck that guy.
2: Really? <laughs> well, she wasn't even 18. Wasn't she like 15 at the time?
0: I thought she was 18. Was she I 15? think
2: later in the episode, it refers to her as like a 15-year-old girl. Oh, God. So I wrote down that he was a pedophile douchebag at the po- At that
0: point. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's gross. I... Oh, retroactively feel icky.
2: (laughs) So, sorry to gross you out, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened.
0: You know, I think this episode is over. We're going to have to find a new guest.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I ruined it for everybody.
1: (laughs) This scene ends, though, in the best possible way, because it makes me want to see this um, daytime courtroom show like Judge Judy, because after the lawyer has a heart attack... We see Antibus's head on the judge, and I'm like, fuck, I'd watch the Judge Antibus show.
2: I'd watch the hell out of that.
0: That was the best part of the scene. I have a question for you guys. This is becoming a pretty common theme in this series. We keep getting these questionable characters introduced to us first thing in the episode. Something terrible happens to them, or maybe something deserving and they make their way to the ER, except for Peter, who, as far as we know, seems to be an okay guy. Is something drawing these corrupt people to Kingdom Hospital? Is this purgatory? Like, what do you have any thoughts about what might be happening with that?
2: I think that something is probably, I don't know, ethereal. Something ethereal is there that draws these horrible things and horrible people to it. Because all these incidents have happened and all these people are, are congregating there, I suppose, something bad has to be there that draws them.
1: Yeah, I think there, there's definitely the violent history of the property, and, and they say several times that there's all these rumors about Kingdom Hospital being haunted, and that's because so much has happened here. But I don't know if I would say I think that it's drawing them I feel like it's just a series of coincidences, especially the way that Paul almost comes across like an opportunist, the way he manipulates the people that come into and around him.
2: That is an awful lot of coincidences, though. That is also true.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I I think I might kind of agree with Hope. I think something is drawing an energy that it's seeking towards it. But I don't know who would be doing that. Maybe we'll find out in the next, what, five episodes? (laughs) (laughs) So we cut briefly to Hook and Draper. Brief, but long enough to know that Hook gave Draper his hook. Oh! Wait, I can do better. How about this one? Hook wanted to Draper over his bed. Ooh! Oh, that's
2: good! You
0: guys can't see this at home, but I'm doing the victory arms.
2: (laughs) Pulling out all the zingers. Yeah, that's solid.
0: And that's all I got
1: (laughs) (laughs) for the rest of the episode.
0: Okay, this next part is probably the most exciting thing that happened in the episode as far as I'm concerned. I know this is early and you guys are probably going to disagree with me, but we are back with our seismologist, I believe, whose name is Richard. And he's talking about some seriously cool shit, (laughs) black noise, which is a real thing. It's No noise on any frequency, but there's like occasional sudden rises. And some people also refer to this as silence. But he refers to it as sound frozen in space and time and later released, which is badass.
1: That's fucking scary is what it is.
0: This scene really made me think of infrasound. Are you guys familiar with that? It's the fear frequency. No.
2: Uh, He mentioned it. In the episode, he said it was black noise was a kind of infrasound, but I wasn't sure what that was.
0: Okay, I'm so happy neither of you know this because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So infrasound is sound that's below our ability to hear, but the the vibrations can still affect us. And it typically causes feelings of fear or anxiety. And there's a certain level like um, a lion growling or rumbling. It's at that frequency that makes human beings just want to pee their pants and run away screaming. So a lot of things, interestingly, can cause, can produce infrasound. But what's really cool is that it has been used to explain away reports of hauntings. Are either of you familiar with Vic Tandy?
2: No. No.
0: Okay. If I remember this right, he was, I think he was the first to connect infrasound to hauntings. He's a British engineer and he was working in his lab one day and he got this, this like Really bad feeling, and the hair on the back of his neck stood up, and he felt really scared. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw like this shadowy gray figure, and then it was gone. And other like students and workers in the lab had reported similar feelings of foreboding and discomfort, and seeing things out of the corners of their eyes. But instead of running away screaming, because dude's a scientist, he's like. There's a perfectly reasonable explanation for this, and I'm going to find it. So he did some tests, and he eventually figured out that the lab's extractor fan was running at about 18.9 hertz, which is very, very close to the level of infrasound. So he turns this thing off, and suddenly the place is no longer haunted.
1: Oh, so, okay. That reminds me of something very interesting. Uh, I've talked about this a few times. Uh, I can't remember how much we've talked about it on the show that I used to be a ghost hunter that I had a, a show that was going to be on the travel channel that I was going to host this ghost hunting show. And we did a an investigation at a house like with the crew when we were kind of doing trial runs. And this guy was 100% sure his house was haunted. He was a professional boxer and dude was tough as hell, but he was scared to be in his house. And when we investigated it, we found out that essentially he had been living in a fear cage because the ceiling fan above his bed was like bleeding. Like it was like the wiring or whatever was like bleeding that electromagnetic field super high. (laughs) And then his air conditioning window unit was also giving off just a ton of it. The wiring was bad and that's where he sat every day at the table. So In this small house, he was essentially trapped with that feeling around him all the time. And it was one of the most insane things that I ever experienced.
0: That's so cool.
1: Not for him, it wasn't.
0: No, well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I very narrowly focused on like a very brief moment in this scene. But there's a lot of other really cool stuff that happens in this scene with our drunken Richard.
1: We find out that the nursing staff and the doctors love baseball.
2: So the baseball team is the Robins, the New England Robins, and they're heading to the World Series for the first time since 1987. Stephen King is obviously a Red Sox fan. He has been forever, but they were last in the World Series in 1986. Uh, and I believe this is a stand-in for the Red Sox and possibly in the same world as *Wizard Wizarding Glass, where the Kansas City Monarchs are the stand-in. Uh, for the Royals. And Nazalacola was also in that same world. So oh. it would have to be the same place, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Stands to reason. That's so, fantastic.
2: Why are doctors wearing baseball jerseys in, a, <laughs> in an ER?
1: <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So one of the things the show has done, and we know it does this anytime. And it actually happens later in this episode. Whenever there is a trauma and there's somebody in the room, we always see a moment from the patient's perspective where things just don't make any sense. (laughs) It's all nonsense. I looked away to make a note, and when I looked back up was when they were talking about baseball. And I'm like, oh, weird, this guy's hallucinating them in baseball jerseys. That's a weird touch. And then a few scenes later, they're still wearing them. and I'm like, oh, that's not. That is actually happening. Okay.
0: I feel so embarrassed right now because sports don't register with me so hard that I literally didn't notice they were wearing jerseys. Are you well, kidding they- me? <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: well, to be fair, they were white with like a teal bluish color on them, so maybe I don't know, they just blended in with everything else.
0: I guess I was more just upset that he's talking about fucking black noise and they're like, oh, what about the World <laughs> Series. Oh, no. <laughs>
2: I wrote this, the nurse, very condescending, like she's talking to a child. She's like, excited about the World Series there, kids?
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are back with our favorite doctor, Dr. Stegman, and his office is completely destroyed, even worse than the last earthquake. But this time, his mama's not around to pick it up for him.
1: <laughs> oh, gross. <stress. laughs>
0: All right. This, uh, I was very, for a minute, I was very confused during the scene because he's, he gets a call from the hospital's attorney, and the attorney's like, the attorney seems to hate him, which I like. Is that just me? Uh,
2: I don't know about hate, but there was. Disdain. Uh, just sub animosity, disdain.
0: I feel
1: like if my name was Mr. Overdick, <laughs> I would dickover? also When he calls him Dick Over, I snorted <laughs> because I was like, this guy just had a flashback to every year of grade school. At best,
2: that's what they called him.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, it seemed like like he is annoyed that he has to work on this
0: case. He's calling to get the records for Mona Klingerman's case, and they are just not available. Something happened to him. Maybe Brenda spilled coffee on those, too.
1: (laughs) Whoops. He's not so much saying that he doesn't have some of the stuff. He's clarifying that that is absolutely everything because we know we're missing that anesthesia report because Mm -hmm. Brenda destroyed it. And he's going to make him sign an affidavit saying, I declare I've given you absolutely everything when in reality we know that he's keeping some things
2: behind.
0: Yeah. So as this is happening, this conversation is taking place, I thought the Stegman was hallucinating or losing losing his mind a little bit because he sees all of these cockroaches and then he sees a white rat.
1: Uh, okay. Uh, well, so two things. One, uh, I knew he wasn't hallucinating. This is another thing that's in the, uh, the diary of Eleanor Druce. They talk about after in, in the book, they talk about after every earthquake, there are reports of mostly rodents, but like cockroaches and, and ants, showing up all over the hospital after these earthquakes. I didn't write down what these rats were, but I know they're, he says that those rats are test subjects for something.
2: I think he said dopamine uptake.
0: I think so, yeah.
1: Why is Stegman running a research project at
2: Kingdom Hospital? <laughs> and it seems like that was the only mention ever of it. Wouldn't that be a more um, take up more of his time than, than, you know, mentioning them seven episodes in.
1: Yeah. Well, and, then, and then again, this uh, another thing from the Diary of Eleanor Drews, they talk about that the reason Stegman keeps making so many mistakes is because he's overstretching himself. He's trying to do too many things because he wants to be the most successful, most famous neurosurgeon alive. And so the idea that he would be running a research project on the side doesn't necessarily surprise me. But yeah, I, I'm surprised that we would wait until this long in the series to find out that he's doing something so important. That's tens of thousands of dollars worth of research.
0: So he calls down to maintenance and Ugh. we get our <laughs> replacement. Okay. It's not Johnny Be Good. It is. I made my note. Her name to me is Jesus Janice. Cause I can't <laughs> handle her. <laughs>
1: Janice McManus Ugh.
2: and I love that, that she says it with such name. confidence <laughs> several times my name is Janice Janice McManus
0: she was a little much for me she needed to dial it back like 45 <laughs>
2: uh,
1: yeah I thought she was hilarious I love that she answers the phone listening to headphones and is very confused why she can't hear Stegman on the other side <laughs>
0: And then Stegman does what I imagine I would do after talking to Janice McManus. He starts hitting himself in the face. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we are back with Rolf, and here comes Sally just doing whatever Sally wants to do while the doctors are trying to help him. And she's here to talk to Peter, but she's only here to tell Peter that she's going to be right back with Mary's doll. So why not just come with Mary's doll and save a trip, Sally? Right.
1: She's been in the bathroom this entire time.
0: What? She's being serious? She
1: never left the bathroom. She's been hiding. She was hiding in the bathroom all night. That's why she snuck through it. She had to sneak past the doctors working on Rolf to get to him. She just uh, hid this
0: entire time. I owe Sally an apology. (laughs) I thought she snuck in there.
2: So, I don't know about you guys, but every time I see her, I think, like, Nancy Drews in The Mystery of the Crying Child. Like, every time, like, psychic detective lady.
0: Nancy Drews.
2: I love it. Oh, it's perfect.
1: We have the prequel novels now. Here you go. I need
2: royalties on that.
0: (laughs) Oh, we do get a little bit more of our ambulance and our EMTs. I feel like we haven't seen them in forever.
2: Our resident eye doctor medic.
0: Yes, and he does bring eyes into it again.
2: I yeah. love it every
1: <laughs> time. Uh, did you notice uh, the the ambulance? The ambulance we've been seeing with these paramedics, they the number of the ambulance. I don't remember seeing it. Uh, the ambulance is unit nineteen. Oh, of
0: oh. course it is. Well,
2: there you go. I should have seen
1: that. Yeah, right. As, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh fuck! How did I not pick up on that earlier?" Right.
0: Unfortunately, they the only weird thing that they're hauling this time is this asshole attorney. <laughs> Steg and James are talking about the seismologist. And this is interesting because here we find out that this guy, he's not checking out the earthquakes to like solve the problem. Like, why are these earthquakes happening? What's going on? He's checking them out to prove that it's nothing supernatural.
2: Yeah, that's that's so weird. Like, you would assume hiring somebody like that, you'd want to figure a problem out. But no, we just want to make sure it's not haunted. We need our money from this chain hospital.
1: It sh- I think it shows that desperation to just sell and get the hell out of there. Oh, yeah. If that's the one thing that's holding someone back from buying it, then let's cross that item off and mm-hmm. get our payday and get the hell out of here.
0: It's just so goofy. I love it, though.
2: Yeah, that was a good conversation. I, I enjoyed that scene.
1: I want to know what equipment he brought to say I this is my anti-ghost detective stuff. I will use this and it'll tell me that this is not ghost related.
0: And how how do you become a seismologist who specializes in hauntings? Like where's the overlap? What kind of training does that require?
1: You have to take a minor in crystals.
2: You know, hold them out. <laughs> well, the out in front of you don't swing them on your own they'll do it when you find something
0: we cut back briefly to the seismologist who is being paid a visit by ant bear and i couldn't tell if ant bear was being unfriendly to him because he looks down at his feet and he'd kept saying my my feet are hot my feet are on fire and he has ants all over his feet and ant bear tells him just call if you get thirsty, which seems cruel because he's an alcoholic who's fallen off the wagon. And I, I kind of had looked at this guy as another Peter, sort of like a good guy.
1: Yeah, I, we don't really have enough information on this guy. We know that he has good intentions. We know he's an alcoholic and we know he's a little arrogant, but that's really character wise all we've really learned about him. So I think it's too soon to tell. I trust Ant Bear's perception of people since he seems to be able to just see into people's souls. I was, I think Ant Bear was giving him that glare because he wanted to eat those fire ants.
2: That, that's all I thought of. Like, I thought he was thirsty.
0: <laughs> uh, the next note is just Natalie, Natalie punch Brenda in the face.
1: That move she does to get around her was fucking hilarious. Uh, Natalie goes in and Brenda tries to stop her from going into the room. And as they're standing at the nurse's station, the phone rings and Natalie, who there's no reason for anybody to be calling her on this phone in the hospital. just says, I'm expecting a call grabs it and answers it and then hands it to Brenda that the calls for her. And so the second Brenda takes the phone, she just zips around her. And I thought that was brilliant.
0: That was so weird. I would have never thought to answer a hospital's phone and been like, oh, yeah, I'm expecting a call. That's for me.
1: Yeah. But she does it with so much confidence. Yeah. I have this theory that Natalie was a con artist before she met Peter. Like, she's an artist and she's like an art thief.
0: Based on this one scene, or have other things supported that theory?
1: Well, she was able to sneak into a mission and record 16 hours of someone reading a book.
0: Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (sighs) I opened that door. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Okay, so something good does come out of this scene, other than Brenda getting irritated, which I love. The staff members finally take Rolf out of Peter's room, and Natalie's like, that dude is not coming back in here.
1: Yeah, Natalie is done fucking around, man. She has had it, and things are going to start happening her way.
0: I hope we see more of her, because she's... Ben, even though the guy who plays Peter is in a coma, so in theory, that actor just gets to lay in bed all day. He's doing more than her.
1: Yeah, she's, she's doing a dynamite job acting against a coma patient. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that, that takes some serious ability.
0: And speaking of coma patient, Peter is now a little more conscious. His eyes are open. He's sort of looking at people. He still can't talk, though. But he can draw. And probably write. But as we find out, instead of writing a simple, concise, informative sentence, he's just going to draw more and they're going to have to figure this mystery out.
1: Well, they, uh, Hook talks later on about that it is where he is in h- between his injury and recovery, his brain is connecting so much easier to the artistic side of, of his ability. So, He can comprehend things, but words are just not coming to his body. They're in his head. They just are not, there's a disconnect between getting them out. And so if you look at when he drew Mary, the art is fantastic. It's a great drawing of Mary, but the name on it looks like a child holding a pencil in their fist and writing Mary at the top.
0: And I... I'm almost with you on that, except he still was able to write Mary, and it was probably more frustrating and it wasn't as neat. but I would take Mary Ghost help Paul Bad in shitty writing over having to kind of over having to do what Sally ends up having to do, which is way more time consuming
1: okay. Repeat what you think he should have written down for just one second. Let's <laughs> follow this train
0: um. There's a ghost girl. Her name is Mary. She has That's a too bell. many words. She's You've got, you've got <laughs> six
1: words. You've got six words to get all this out.
0: Mary. Ghost. Help. Paul. Bad. Ant Bear. Done.
1: <laughs> all right. Those are your six words. You. Somebody hands you this sheet of paper. And you have no context for any of it. It looks like nonsense. <laughs> you would look at this and be, "Oh, he must be unable to write correct words. He's just writing random gibberish, and he thinks he's actually writing something.
0: Okay, well, why didn't he then draw all of that? Draw Mary, draw Paul, draw Aunt Bear, draw Sally, draw the he's old only- kingdom.
1: He's only got one
0: hand and one sheet of paper. Give him he's a break. He's laying around all day doing nothing.
2: Well, if he drew Ant <laughs> Bear, if he drew Ant Bear, he's already painted him before. So wouldn't they just think that's like a latent memory? Like, yeah.
0: You guys are clearly like, against me. But he draws
1: I, Sally, you know. <laughs> and that. But that. But he did the right thing. He drew Sally
0: and i assume and that, that's the only that reason that convinces yeah.
1: natalie to take that request seriously.
0: Yeah, because when sally shows up later, natalie, who was originally opposed to her being around peter when hook asked about it, was much more welcoming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, is blondie the dog a ghost?
1: Excellent question, cuz i wrote the exact same note.
2: Uh sure? <laughs> uh if you go if you're walking through walls, you're I I would assume or spirit projection. I don't know. Maybe that wasn't the actual dog.
0: I I don't know because Blondie, when Blondie's not walking through walls, seems very real and not at all monochrome or scary looking. And every other ghost in the episode so far is sort of fantastic in some way. Like ant bear is metaphysical ant bear with these huge fangs and Paul and Mary are very emo.
1: Has anybody but Otto interacted with Blondie?
0: I think well, Bobby was going to help him look for Blondie.
2: And didn't he drop spaghetti on the floor and the dog ate it? Yes. Like, I don't I don't oh, know no. if that was for real or if it was ghost dog eating spaghetti.
1: In the first episode, there's shots of Blondie or episode 1 or 2, there's a, shots of Blondie like eating the food out of people's hands that are asleep.
0: You know, I'm going to go no on this because ghosts don't eat.
1: (laughs) Maybe Blondie Blondie died between the last two episodes.
0: Oh God. I didn't even think about that. Uh, We are briefly with Frankie. (gasps) What?
1: (laughs) That might be, that might be a thing. You think so? Cause Blondie's been missing. (gasps)
0: That's true. Blondie was down with Ant Bear when he got sabotaged what by if, Paul. What if Blondie died during the earthquake? What if Paul killed Blondie? He did torture animals when he was alive.
1: Oh, man. This if is dark. If that's right, that's a real <laughs> dark turn.
2: Guys, this is too heavy for me. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's go to something lighter. Frankie running around, or er, Frankie showering while his he's massaging shampoo oh. onto his head that he's just holding in his hands and i just imagine that this actor had the best time of anyone on this show
1: frankie's my favorite character now the all, all of this stuff i think is hilarious when we check back later the body is still having a shower and the head is propped up on a stool under
2: a hairdryer. and i <laughs> laughed forever not just under a hair dryer, but dishing the gossip while he's under. There. <laughs> yes,
1: oh God, that's so good.
2: I don't remember the words, but but it was it was stereotypical hair salon gossip,
1: yeah. Frank has really come to terms quickly with being dead and decapitated.
0: Well, his dead life is better than his actual life. He's like oh, he gets to true. take a hot shower, wash his hair, probably hasn't been able to do that for a while, true. This guy is awesome. He seems kind of different, his ghost form, than the character we met before he died. Yeah. It's like he's grown somehow.
1: <laughs> well, when we see him, he's he's hearing voices. And we know that part of that is the influence of just, I don't know if it's proximity of the hospital. He's, he's experiencing black noise, but it seems like in death, He's just completely relieved of all the burdens of whatever was clogging up his mind. Also, I think being decapitated really gives yeah. you perspective.
0: Yeah, he's finally got a good head on his shoulders. But um, bump. That was terrible. All right, that was terrible. <laughs> Sorry. You don't have to repeat that. <laughs> Elmer is, I think, getting called out pretty hard. Uh, he is. He and all the young doctors or interns are around a table with a body. And the head doctor is like, Elmer, come over here. I'm going to draw on your throat. Do you like this? And Elmer finally knows what it's like to be touched against his will. Oh, oh yeah.
2: shit! Good call on that.
0: Oh, <laughs> nicely done, CM. <laughs> and
1: just like those other instances, this doctor asks if he can do it Elmer says no, and then he does it anyway.
0: And then insists that Elmer probably likes it. (laughs) It has no regard for Elmer's feelings. Yeah. Fuck you, Elmer.
1: Damn. That completely slipped by me.
0: (laughs) I would like one of you to really dive into this scene because I think it is, I think it's a deep moment and I really liked it.
1: It's, A really amazing scene. It's probably it it would be my favorite scene in this episode were it not for a scene we're gonna come to soon. In this moment, the this doctor who we haven't met yet is gathered all of the interns and is giving them this speech about about intimacy is is a big part of it. That the fear of connecting with people, the fear of death all comes from this fear of intimacy and death should be treated so respectfully because the intimacy of of people when you have sex you are being intimate with one person but the moment of death makes you intimate with all who've gone before us and the the dead deserve to be honored and not desecrated And it is their job as people who are entrusted with taking care of the dead to take that responsibility seriously because this person was somebody to someone and they can never lose sight of that. And the entire time this is happening, Elmer and Gupta are exchanging glances of, oh shit, our number's up. And Nurse Carrie is trying not to vomit.
2: Yeah, I thought that was probably the best scene in the whole episode. It, it was just a really somber, impactful speech that I don't feel you get a lot of that in this show because it's so goofy most of the time. Yeah. But this one actually had something important and just important to say about death.
0: And it was something that we sorely needed based on the last episode alone. Devin walked in during this scene and I found myself trying to explain why the head doctor was being so, like, passionate and dramatic in that moment. And rather than, like, pausing and trying to walk him through everything that had happened up to this point, I'm like, oh, that guy cut off a corpse's head last episode. <laughs> and, and Devin's like, was he trying to be funny? And I had to stop and think a moment. And finally, what ended up coming out of my mouth was he was actually trying to be sexy. <laughs> <It> was- <laughs>
2: It was such a weird thing. Like, wh- how how does anybody think that is a way that will get you in with with somebody? Like, oh my god, he's dead, and I cared about him. That's not how that works.
1: Oh, I just thought he was trying to send the signal that he gives great head.
0: Uh, t- oh. oh man! Zing. Oh. and you say I make everything sexual? <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, this, I'm wondering, Josh, if this is your favorite scene. They're about to operate on the lawyer.
1: <laughs> oh my God. This scene is bananas. It's so hard to talk about these scenes because the perspective doesn't make any sense.
0: No, this, so this is really great. they Dr. Hook is paged to the operating room and they're all like, it's an attorney. And everybody, you know, there's like this gravity in this moment and it turns into a, almost like a reality show. Hook's like, turn on camera three, five, and six and get the notary and uh, we're not going to operate on you unless you promise not to sue and you got to sign here and there's like a court reporter and Hook's staring right into the camera giving his his resume.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that speech was fast and complicated. So (laughs) kudos to Hook for nailing that.
2: When he was speaking into the camera, given his accolades and what he was about to do, It reminded me of Jackass, the way that was all set up.
0: (laughs) Yes. This was sort of the first time the weird hallucinations that the patients have while being operated on really hit me. The doctors saying weird stuff. Because I guess the first few times that happened, I sort of dismissed it. I I didn't think of it as like a trope in the show. And I really, for some reason, just enjoyed it this time around more than I have before. Because it was
2: all nonsense this time. (laughs) it well, wasn't I, peppered in it was complete nonsense
0: the
1: show does some very interesting things like there are times where this show can really take you know the the obvious the obvious joke the obvious route get real goofy but then there are times i feel like it does these moments of surrealism to point out things in our culture the the fact that when the scene when they come into the operating room, it is Hook and two nurses. As soon as they say he's a lawyer, everybody takes a step back, and then instantly it is three cameramen, court reporter, notary, all, all just tons of people because of this whole uh, he's a lawyer and he's going to sue us, and that kind of s- tells that story of the the danger of like lawsuits and like what we're facing with Stegman where he's getting sued justifiably, but sometimes doctors have to cover their asses so much because if something goes wrong, somebody can, you know, Sue and, and can ruin a doctor's career for something that is an honest mistake. And then when you go to the lawyer's perspective and he just hears all this nonsense, yes, in, he, they're saying actual words that don't go together, but when you think of it from a patient's perspective of that he's under so much shock and these people are saying words he doesn't really know, so in panic, his brain is plugging in words that he thinks make sense because all of that information is so overwhelming that he can't really parse it. And so I think that it's a neat juxtaposition between the two of them. Was that anything?
0: No, that was perfect. I- <laughs> I-
1: <laughs> I, man, I really had a Ben moment. I just got really into what I was going. And then at the end had to be like, I I don't know if that was
0: just me. See, I like to think that if I'm ever not on the episode, that someone will have a CM moment and they'll just be like, boners, boners, boners. <laughs> Well, while we are, while we are with this attorney, let's just go ahead and talk about the scene between Hook and the attorney's wife, because it, it mirrors his first scene with Natalie, where he knows that he has to deliver bad news. And he's, it's clear he's done this before. It's clear he's taking it seriously. And he's going to do just these little, very thoughtful, touching things to help ease her into this moment. And i I'm interested in what you guys think about this because it didn't feel sincere to me in this scene. He's sitting talking to her and telling her that they they can't do any more bypass surgeries. He's got to have a replacement and they don't have enough time to find a good match. Like he's going to need a new heart before they can find him one. And she's starting to become upset. And I felt like he just sort of whipped out these Kleenex like, oh, here you go, lady.
2: Well, maybe that's. Because of his feelings towards the patient. And that bleeds over to the interaction with the the spouse. I think at this point, the the news probably was carrying the fact that he had had this affair with an underage girl. Impregnated her. Terminated her without cause, really. So he probably doesn't give a shit.
0: I guess that that, tracks because he also said they should let Rolf die.
1: Right. Because we find out soon after this... When they leave the room, it's right after this that he calls his partner. He calls somebody at the law firm and says, hey, I need you to get a hold of that guy that we defended who works in black market organs because I need a heart. And his partner is just like, hey, how about slip into a coma? play sleep and go fuck yourself until this all blows over. Cause he's got a pamphlet that has been hitting the streets about like justice for this person and everybody, this whole law firm is under attack and going to be under investigation and just hangs up on him, just gets rid of him entirely. So there is a chance, even though we didn't see it, that if it's that public and it's been on the news and everything that the doctors may have heard about it by now.
0: That makes sense. Including his wife. Oh is-
1: God, I can't imagine oh. that. Was great. Yeah. Second, uh, no, you know what? I take that back. I would have loved to see the scene where she found out.
0: Do you think she would have just like unplugged him?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's justifiable. It would have made me happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I have a feeling that character is going to be meeting a satisfactory end before the series is over. I, f- I feel it.
0: I hope so. And no oh. offense against the actor. Cause I, have commented that nobody would fuck him, but he's, he's doing a great job being just slimy and despicable. He's doing a really awesome job. Can we switch to a moment to talk about Sally and Bobby? Because we find out in this episode that Bobby is a virgin.
1: I feel like we knew that information like in our heart of hearts.
0: Yeah. But it's one thing to suspect that, I mean, his mommy's his best friend, which is fine, but I felt really bad for him in this scene. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I also feel bad that he not only has he never had sex, but he apparently doesn't know enough about it to know when he sees someone who was
2: just having it. Yes, Pretty sure, she was in there with somebody doing something, but I don't know what.
0: Bobby cock blocks Mrs. Powell. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's talk yep. about how he finds himself in his in this predicament in the hospital.
1: So the plan is now that they have the name Mary to try to find any documentation on who this girl is. Despite the fact it's super hard to search for somebody by a first name with no other information.
0: Like I said, Peter should have included a last name or <laughs> He didn't ask.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Does Mary know her last name? I don't. Uh- <laughs> So the plan is to get access to medical records, and Bobby says, Mrs. Powell is the pinnacle of integrity, and there's no way she's going to give me access to medical records for any suspicious reason. There's no way. She's not that kind of person. She's, she's too good. And Sally's like, try anyway. I have other things to do, and then leaves. And Bobby goes to the medical records office and he it's locked and all the lights are off
0: and you can hear and things
1: you, you can hear <laughs> someone getting down and he tries to open it and he makes a bunch of noise and she runs out her hair's all tussled her shirts unbuttoned like all frantic and catches and he's like she's like well, what well, what can i do for you and then it cuts away. And then next time we see Bobby, he has uh, a pass to get into medical records.
0: I'm surprised he wasn't like, I think Mrs. Powell has asthma.
1: Okay. <laughs> I think she's training for a marathon. <laughs> she said she has a treadmill in her office. I don't know why you'd have a treadmill in the
2: records, but it's a tandem treadmill. He, he heard the other guy in there too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys, I love when Jesse James and Stegman are together. They're walking down the hall and Stegman. I don't even know if he was actually complaining or if I just, in my head every time I see him, I assume he's complaining. But I think he's complaining. And James is like, be more like these dying children. They can still paint pictures and smile and have nice lives. What's your problem? (laughs) (laughs) So they're they're going to uh, a meeting and James is passing out morning air stickers. He is pushing it hard. Ooh,
1: before, we, before we get to the meeting, though, as he's saying all this stuff about even children who are terminal draw sunshine, rainbows, all this stuff, they walk past and the camera hangs on one very disturbing, bloody, gruesome painting, and it's drawn by Mona Klingerman.
0: Who we haven't seen again since she had a seizure. True. So let's talk about this meeting, because I... I I thought this was interesting the way that James just sort of put everything out there and this guy is cool as a cucumber about everything except morning air he's excited about that but otherwise <laughs> he does not give two shits
1: I thought I think that was a really cool direct way to handle it especially now Stegman is one of the keepers so he's he's one of them he's not going anywhere so it's time to get down to brass tacks don't beat around the bush and say hey everyone has a hard time working with you how do we make this better
0: but unfortunately while he's doing this stegman is hallucinating
1: <laughs> i'm telling you he is he's slowly going insane that is my theory that everything that has started from episode 1 is slowly breaking his brain and by the end of this series he will be full on insane.
0: What does he see in this meeting? <laughs> he sees two
1: Jesse James, but not only does he see two of Jesse James sitting next to each other interacting, but it's like if he split them into because they're shorter and smaller.
0: Yeah. Same yeah, mass. And yeah,
1: I thought that was a great touch, and I love that when it cuts to him, the two Jameses are interacting with each other and just having a great time.
0: Another cool thing that happens because it leads to my probably my second favorite scene: James is explaining more about you know the the hospital purchase and that they need to make sure that nothing spooky is happening. And Hook is getting really down into the ghost stuff, and James or and Stegman's like, "You are ridiculous."
1: I as much as you like James and Stegman scenes, I really like the moments when we get Hook and Steg together because they are so diametrically opposed.
0: Well, let's talk about the next scene with them together.
1: This is my favorite scene. <laughs> they are walking down the hall having this discussion of the the supernatural things that are happening and Stegman is just ribbing him. Of like, oh, you you saw this ghost ambulance. You've seen this ghost girl. Hey, how about next time, you actually reach out and touch it? Because you know what is, is that wall? Is that wall over here real? Let me see. Oh, yep, I can touch it. The wall's real. So before you go calling things supernatural, why don't you do a little investigating? All right, not everything is spooky and mysterious and ghostly. Cue blondie turning the corner with Frank's head in her mouth <laughs> running towards them and just the look on both of their faces as they watched Blondie bring them a human head was amazing
0: <laughs> my my notes here got a little weird cuz i think i was excited cuz i wrote perfect Blondie hates Stegman. Hook knows it's Elmer, probably because the head's wearing his glasses. And at first, when I reread this, I was like, "Why did I think that he mistook Frankie for Elmer?" And then I realized that I meant that he knows that Elmer chopped off his head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that Blondie flashes the red eyes. Yeah, at Stegman that we saw, which kind of contradicts my theory last episode that it was some sort of other hallucination, that means Blondie got red eyes.
0: But, okay, I need help. Blondie, Blondie went to Old Kingdom, took Frankie's head from his body while he was showering, the head was getting its hair dried, and took it into New Kingdom and drops it at the feet of these doctors. Presumably, Frankie's actual head, not his ghost head, is in Elmer's locker, unless he did something with it. So did she just bring them the ghost head?
1: No, because he picks it up and touches it.
0: But she didn't get that head. She grabbed the ghost head.
1: But, see, God, that's (laughs) the show. (laughs) Some things things just don't make sense. It's So it's hard to keep track of what's happening. Because we see Elmer put his head in the locker, which is in the kingdom. Their lockers aren't in the old kingdom. However the headless body gets the head from a locker in the ghost kingdom. And yeah, it's that transition of like where that line, where that blur is, is really
2: hard to keep track of. I think it's best to not look into details too far in this show, because if you do, you'll just pick the whole thing apart and not enjoy it. Sure. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I
0: guess so. (laughs) So anyway, that that scene is really awesome. But unfortunately, as much as we enjoyed it, Frankie did not enjoy that prank. And he is pissed. And he starts banging on the ground when he realizes that his head is gone. And he's causing earthquakes, which we then cut to Richard, the seismologist, who wakes up and Sally happens to be in there talking to Natalie because she brought Peter, Mary's doll. And she's filling Natalie in. And Richard is like, hey, lady, black noise. Get me my bag. I gotta figure this out. And I'm like, ooh, these two together. That's gonna be cool.
1: The look on Sally's face was like,
2: this is my shit. All right, (laughs) Let's do this. Can she tell that they're ghost quakes and not regular earthquakes? (laughs)
1: Ghost
0: quakes? (laughs) I, you know, I feel like Sally, if anybody would be able to, Sally would be able to. But she hasn't really talked about the earthquakes at all, I don't think.
2: It seems like she doesn't really care. It's all about Mary and that's it.
0: Yeah,
1: I do appreciate though when they moved the seismologist into Peter's room Natalie was like nah fuck this shit I, I, I'm not letting another person be in here and they were like uh, he's a scientist and a doctor he'll, he'll be fine he'll be less insane.
0: Oh and he's also an alcoholic so that might be rough. <laughs> yeah. So we end this episode with Ant Bear growling menacingly And maybe it's because the last episode was so bombastic and action-packed, but I feel like this episode was in a way more of like a a commercial break or a clip show or something because there, there wasn't a lot of content that seemed like it really moved the story forward the way we've gotten previously. It seems more like this one was setting up stuff for later episodes, which I wouldn't care about, but we're on seven of 13. And I'm like, how are they going to wrap this all up? I don't know. What did you guys think of this one?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I feel like you're right. I feel like this was an episode that was, the last like two episodes have gotten some good plot points moving forward. This is taking a look at the the board and resetting some pieces. Yeah. Uh, because I know one thing we skipped over, Rolf is still alive. He didn't burn to death.
0: Oh, I can't believe I skipped that because I thought that his makeup was awesome.
1: He looks badass. And Rolf is now roommates with the lawyer. And so I love that not only is Aunt Bear sitting there growling at the lawyer, but he's in the same room as Rolf. And so he's got two people that suck. Yeah. Ready to growl at him. (laughs) And so, yeah. and, And at the end of the episode, we see Rolf and the lawyer looking at each other. And Rolf smiles, and the lawyer shits his pants.
0: It, yeah, because Rolf <laughs> is all burned up, and it I, I don't know like if the actor was doing this or if it was some sort of prosthetic, but it seemed like his face was twitching uncontrollably yeah. when he was trying to smile. It was really, really cool.
1: yeah. he was he was twitching his face, and I thought that was super menacing.
0: <laughs> Any predictions for what might happen next episode?
2: I cannot offer you a prediction because I've watched it.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was your moment, man! You didn't have to rat yourself out. You could have just uh, set up the whole episode, and next next week we would have been like, "Oh my god!" Remember when Hope was on and he completely nah, like, accurately predicted I, this?
2: <laughs> no, I don't prognosticate. I can't. I can't do it. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, man, yeah. Next episode, I don't know. I'm hoping. I'm hoping we get a resolution to whatever the story with the lawyer and Rolf is going to be. I want to kind of clear that subplot off the board and I want to see Elmer get the screws put to him for desecrating a corpse. Yeah. Uh, We, we got a hint that that is coming and I really just, I want to see his shit get wrecked. I'll be very happy about that. How about you Sam?
0: I think that we're going to get another questionable character and they're going to shove that guy in with a lawyer and Rolf. We're going to have three bad guys in a room together. <laughs> and my, Can they just
2: shove them all into the same just, room? Like yeah. every bad guy from every episode and have a battle royal? Yeah, that's... One hospital room?
0: <laughs> I really think that's what they're working up to.
2: All right. Kingdom also, Hospital Royale. Hell yeah. I yeah.
0: also I'm, really hope that Frankie... If something good happens to this guy... I love Frankie and he doesn't deserve what Blondie did.
1: Agreed. Well, that's it for this episode of Jerry Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be covering episode eight, Heartless. For CM Alexander and Nick Hofer, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, the law of the living is to take. The law of the dead is to give. And that demands respect.
0: <laughs> Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you so much for listening to Kingdom Hospital Part 7. We hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know on our social media at Dairy Public Radio or email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com because we love hearing from you. Once again, thank you to our special guest, Nick Hofer. If you'd like to hear more from Nick, check out our Patreon episode of Kids on Bikes Chapter 1. Stay safe, everyone. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.